Welcome, everybody, to the Always Hope Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mario Sacasa, and truly grateful to have another amazing episode to share with you today. Well, I've had a question about abortion here as of late, and particularly the, the question about how did abortion become legal? I understand the arguments of both sides, but I really wanted to know how the ability to voluntarily terminate a pregnancy became a constitutional right. So I reached out to the best person I knew to ask this question. So joining me on the show today is Angie Thomas, CEO Emerita of the Women's New Life Clinic here in New Orleans, Louisiana. Angie is a lawyer and brings a unique perspective as someone who understands both the direct care and the legal side of this conversation. In today's episode, we get into a heavy discussion about what was happening in our country around 1973, the players involved in Roe v. Wade, how the Supreme Court has maintained its position on abortion in subsequent cases, and the repercussions if abortion becomes illegal again. At the end of this episode, there is a little land yap waiting for you. I interviewed my oldest son, Gabriel, who at 15 attended his first March for Life. I wanted to share his experiences as a young person and the impact that that march had on him. So it's there waiting for you at the end of the episode, and it's awesome. When the show is done, please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Every one of those truly is a blessing to me and encouragement to, to continue to do this show. So thank you, everybody. And let's get into this conversation with Angie Thomas. Angie Thomas, welcome to the Always Hope Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Mario. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks so much for taking time. I know you are in the middle of a transition in your life right now. So yes. you have been at the Women's New Life Center, which in New Orleans is our, our uh, pro-life women's health clinic. Yes. Uh, and you have been there for 20 years or so. Almost is that right? 20 years. Yes. Have mercy. That's a long time to be dedicated to one one space. Yes. And it's you've been, been the director. You were the director for how long? So I was CEO for the last nine years. Nine I started years. as a volunteer while I was in law school. Wow. Totally changed my life. And I think I've played just about every role in the organization. And then, uh, yeah, ended up with CEO. And we have a great team of people that are going to take it into the next chapter. Fantastic. So you recently stepped down, right, just a couple months ago. And you're in transition to your CEO emeritus. Is that right? Right yes, now, technically, yes. until you... Officially move out into whatever the next venture is. That's that God right. Has for you. Are you able to share what the next venture is, or is it still kind of under wraps? Or yes, I would be happy to share it here on yeah. your awesome podcast. So um, I'm going to be working with NIFLA, which is the National Institute. Of Excuse you? Did you sneeze? Did you need to, <laughs> <laughs> you need That's great. Oh, I love it. So no, it's an acronym: uh, National Institute of Family and Life Advocates. Mm -hmm. um, and they are really essentially the legal arm of the pregnancy center movement. Right. And great. then I'm so excited to announce that I'll be working with Louisiana Right to Life Whoa, awesome. as their associate director. I'm so blessed to be able to work with that great team of people. Ben Clapper is doing some amazing things in the state and we're the most pro-life state in the country. Yeah, I don't know if you saw that. I did. Yes. That's very so, evident. Isn't that beautiful? It is. It so is. I'm sure we'll dig into all the reasons we will. why. That's why we're having this conversation. The... So transitioning out of direct care mm -hmm. and then overseeing a particular clinic and now moving into advocacy and kind of 
fighting, if that's the right word here, uh, or helping, advocating at the at the legal level. Yeah. But you are a lawyer by by trade, right? I am. That's it. Yes. So this is great. Okay. So what we're going to be talking about today? All right. Um, I have done one show on abortion, and that wasn't really on abortion. It was episode twenty three with Michaeline Friedenberg, who I think you know Love from her. Life Perspectives. And that was a great episode on counseling women with re- reproductive loss and men as well. So kind of what are the best practices of helping somebody following an abortion or a miscarriage or a stillbirth? And it's a great episode, episode 23. Again, there for the listeners, if you want to listen to that. Um, but their focus has been great. They're, they are not advocacy. They are they are secular in the sense that they're a real nonprofit and want to help people regardless of where they are in their religious affiliation or non-affiliation, whatever, which is beautiful and a great a great thing. Um, and so, you know, with this show, I've always tried to find kind of like, what's a unique angle on the topic that I want to discuss or what's a different voice that could be offered here? And, and quite honestly, I haven't felt like I've been able to conceive of what's a new thing or something unique that I can contribute to this larger conversation. Because when it comes to abortion, you can get whatever you want, you know, uh, online, right or left, whatever you, whatever it is that you want to do. There's plenty of of, uh, of of information that's available to you if you want to go, you know, find out. Um, and so, uh, until recently, right? So, so, and now recently, I've had a couple questions in my mind that have been inspired. I guess you know, my son just went on the March for Life here recently for the first time, and it just got me thinking about certain things about just the legality of a more of abortion. So, we're gonna get into that just here in a second. Mm-hmm. Before we really begin, I want to just put the preface out to the listener. I always feel like when we talk about a hot button issue, just always needs to put the caveat out there, which is, I know this is going to ruffle feathers. Like I know that this episode isn't going to be right enough for you or left enough for you, and that's okay. All I'm asking is just for an openness as we enter into this conversation. I know that any conversation about sexuality is going to be a hot button issue because it's it's a question of of personality. It's a question of identity. It's a question of freedoms and responsibilities. And so all of those topics about sexuality often invoke, rightfully so, they evoke opinions and heated debate because they are so personal to us. So do I expect this to be anything different? No, of course not. So I'm just asking for everybody just to have an open mind as we enter into this conversation. Do you agree? Mm, Absolutely. And engage, stay listening, because that's the best thing we can do is to really dive deep into this issue to understand what we what we believe as that, individuals. That's right. And how we got here as a country. And I think that's the focus that we're going to have for today. All right. Mm-hmm. So as they say in Reddit, explain like I'm five. <laughs> <Love it. laughs> right? yes. Explain it like I'm five. How did abortion become legal in this country? I mean, genuinely, I just don't understand. I mean, we're talking about 60 million abortions since Roe v. Wade. Um, I know the philosophies and we'll, we'll get into all of that in just a second. But that, that undergird the movement and, and that can continue, you know, to undergird why people feel that abortion is a right and a good thing. I, I understand there's people who, who really feel that. Mm-hmm. Um, but how did we get here legally? Like how, I guess, how, how did Roe v. Wade argue for a constitutional right for a woman to be able to have an abortion? Like when mm-hmm. the constitution was written 200 years prior to. Right? And these are the questions I'm, I'm just ra- grappling with right now. Yes. So whatever insight you can offer and help me and my listeners would be awesome. Oh, happy to <laughs> dive into that because I, I really essentially started 
this work because of that same question. I went to law school to learn more about that very same question because because I I knew that this was a topic that was just so important. It's the big topic of the day, right? Like if I was alive during the time of slavery, I would hope that I would have kind of had the wherewithal to understand like what's the right side of this issue and where, you know, what can I do to help? So that was the question I came to law school with. And I love how you said that the question really came up when you're when your son went to the March for Life because to me, it's they have these beautiful, innocent minds and they go to this major event where they see all these people. This must be something to bring all these people and they're understanding the reality of abortion, the Mm -hmm. face of abortion Mm -hmm. in a way that brings it outside of the political realm, outside of the kind of surface level stuff. And they are digging in. And so I'm sure he came home with just that raw just response to that. And he did. Yeah. You as a father, you're like, oh, let's talk about it. Let's <laughs> let's get into this. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And I, I love having these conversations oh, with them. So yeah, no, it absolutely, it, it, it was. It came from yeah. all of that. That's great. So I would say that really to start mm-hmm. with that time frame, right? Okay. Roe v. Wade, when, when was that? 1973. 1973, right? Yeah. right. So to think of the culture around that time, I think is the best place to start, right? Because right. what were we experiencing in the late 60s? Right. The sexual revolution, the pill became legal or yes. I guess a FDA approved what? 64, 65? 65. 65. Well, 65 was the Supreme Court case Got that it. I'm going to reference. I'm so glad you mentioned the pill because mm-hmm. so sexual revolution, right? We're trying to just break away the consequences of sex. Right. And from the act. Right. right? And so, you know, the, mentally, like society is coming to this place where we need to just move, remove the consequences. Right. So there was so much going on at that time. And I definitely want to mention um, some names here that I've read about that I just find fascinating to learn about kind of what was happening below the surface of this Supreme Court case um, that seems like everyone knows this one name of this one (laughs) Supreme Court case. There's very few that I know, honestly, and that's I'm not a lawyer. Uh, I didn't study American history in college, uh, outside of maybe some grad class. I'm fascinated. I'm really fascinated I, by, I by the topic. Too. I am too. So, I mean, leading up to it, I just, the, the book Aborting America was so eye-opening for mm. me because it was the story. It brought a personal side to what, what happened leading up to Roe versus Wade. So the okay. author of that book is Dr. Bernard Nathanson. Okay. And he was an OBGYN in New York mm-hmm. um, and really kind of became very um, pro-abortion, right? Pro-choice is what uh, some people call it. But for this man, he was very much... Uh, we need abortion to be not only legal, but unrestricted. Right. So I'm going to purposely use that term pro-abortion there. Yeah, I'm fine. So for the sake of defining our terms, we'll say, you know, are we for abortion being legal in the country or are we opposed to abortion being Mm. legal for the country? And I know that may, or that's the pro-life side. And then we have the pro-choice side, but I know some of this is, can sometimes be named. So, Mm -hmm. so it's okay. We can use all of them interchangeably, but I think that's the good of our defining terms for our conversation. So I'm fine saying pro-abortion in the sense that you're for abortion being legal, Mm -hmm. you know, and I know that immediately that 
ruffles feathers and people are like, well, I'm not for abortion or for a woman choosing abortion. Okay. It's, it's a semantic. I get it. But like you're for abortion being legal, right? Mm-hmm. You're okay. pro-abortion in the sense that it should be there. Right. Right. Great. So and, you know, going. really, and the Sorry. more you find out about him, his life's work, mm-hmm. um, what he stood for, you'll kind of that that'll kind of um, flesh out. Right. Got it. So he is uh, doing his OBGYN residency and is seeing these these women come in, you know, with botched abortions from trying to do, you know, self-induced abortions, the so-called you know, the coat hanger abortions, yeah, right? Or not so called. It was coat hanger yeah. coat hanger abortions or oh, back alley mercy. abortions. And that's a horrible thing. And we, we need to recognize as as, you know, people who really are, you know, for life, right? And for, you know, women who to to choose life, mm-hmm. we need to recognize that that's a horrible thing. And right. we, I'm sure we're gonna get to that too. Yeah, like yeah. what would what would happen if abortion was legal? Yeah, yeah, was we will illegal. Get to that. But um so he I think that was really what propelled him into this topic. Okay, so hold on. So he's he's Bernard Nathanson. Yes. Is an OBGYN doing his residency mm-hmm. and seeing women who are coming to him yes. who have botched abortions That's that right. they were self-induced, whether it's a coat hanger or some other method. Mm-hmm. And he's having to take care of them following this kind That's of botched right. procedure. And so he's seeing the horrific side of this. Now, let me let me ask you this before we even go further. I'm sorry. Like, was abortion illegal prior to 1973 or was it just that there wasn't language to define the terms of of health care or medical care? services for abortion it was illegal in most states but it was legal in some states leading up to roe versus wade so we're still in the late 60s here at this time frame and at the time that he was in his residency i'm pretty sure that it was illegal even in new york which was i I believe that was the first state to um legalize abortion okay codify that in the state got it so um so, doctor, and, and look, let's talk about how he that's that's a compassionate thing to care for those women. Isn't yeah, absolutely. It? Like of course it is. And that's where I, I do hope that there are some listeners out there who you know, really are challenging their 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 minds by listening to this. There there are so many people on the other side of this issue that we can talk about compassion together. We we have that in common. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. And I always want to build that up in the people I'm talking to. I love how compassionate you are, but let's talk about how to be compassionate. Right, right. So, um, so back what's to- What's the appropriate response for that compassion is? Like what, what becomes the most helpful response in the face of this suffering? That's right. right. For, all involved, for all involved and yep. for not just the now, but the future. Correct. Uh, so, so Dr. Nathanson um, meets a man named Larry later, and he was a sociologist, and his big thing was population control. Okay. So was he in New York also? Yes. Okay. Yes. And so they they were you know in you know elite circles, and these two men really got together and strategized a lot about abortion, and in fact started a group called NARAL which is mm. still around today, mm-hmm. the National Abortion Rights Action League. Mm-hmm. And so that group, the the whole goal of that group was to have not just legal abortion, but unrestricted abortion. And why unrestricted legal abortion? Why do they because advocate for that specifically? They, they knew that, that, that you couldn't chip away at it, okay. right? And so, and 
you know, again, when you look at the end goals here, if population control is your end goal, does it really matter what trimester of pregnancy you're in? No, of course not. You know, does it really matter? Does anything matter other than ha- keeping no, the control? I mean, that's the problem is, I mean, does infanticide matter? I mean, at that right. point, like, does, right. why does it even matter at, at nine months? I mean, right. And so for Dr. Nathanson, you know, he at this, so leading up to Roe v. Wade, Dr. Nathanson had op- has, had opened his own abortion clinic in New York where okay. it was legal before Roe v. Wade. Well, in his book, he talks about how he had presided over over 75,000 abortions, oh including goodness. his own child's. Wow. And so when we talk about being just entrenched in this, right? Like mm. this man that this was, this had become just his life. Yeah. So, um, you know, that was, the, it, it's hard to come out of that, right? Absolutely. But he, he, maybe we'll save, save that part of the story for a little bit. Let's keep in chronological order. Sounds here. great. <laughs> so we're, we're still in the late sixties, early Early seventies, leading up leading to up. kind of that, that movement right. of NARAL trying mm-hmm. to get abortion legal. So they knew these, these two men and, you know, some others had joined forces with them and they really knew that they had to convince women Mm-hmm. That abortion was good for them. Okay. So to me, that is a huge thing that we can explore today is, you know, is this good for women? Right. So they these men at, at that time, the feminist movement was very pro-life. That's amazing. Yeah. You know that uh, there's a quote from I believe it's Alice Paul who said. Abortion is the ultimate exploitation of women. And who is Alice Paul? One of the original drafters of like the, you know, the the, the women's rights amendment. That's amazing. I mean, right? So wow. like I'm sorry, excuse my ignorance. I'm sorry. The, this yeah, Alice Paul. <laughs> and like so there's waves yes. of feminism, right? Right. And yes, so yes, yes, yes. this, you know, the first wave certainly was a very pro-life mm. um approach to what it meant to be empowered as a woman. I mean, amazing. Right. And so we are just looking at this at this shift because the two men, you know, they they encountered Betty Friedan, who was the president of now National Organization of Women. Okay, And they convinced Betty again, we're still on the societal level right now. Mm -hmm. So they convinced Betty Friedan that abortion is good for women, that how are they ever going to be equal in the workforce if they don't have control over their own bodies, Mm -hmm. right? And how how are you ever going to have equality without abortion? Right. And she bought it. And and they actually, in the book, it goes into how Dr. Nathanson actually, you know, and Larry later, they would lie about the numbers of women who were dying in the back alley abortions. In what way? To try to convince. In in exaggerating Inflate, yeah, inflate those numbers so that, you know, she, you know, and and genuinely, it it was a problem. I mean, you know, so there are a lot of problems in society, right? right? There's a lot of drug use, but should we allow drugs to be legal for that? Or, you know, so that. Well, some. People are pushing for that, right. but that's but that's another another topic for another episode, another right. podcast. All right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll just stick to this one for now. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so they convince Betty Friedan Friedan from now that this is actually what's good for women. Now, just to stop right there, I mean, because that is that is the mantra that still exists: is that this is if you are against abortion, you hate women. Is basically the mantra that is tossed. And if you are against a woman's right to choose, 
then you don't trust women mm-hmm. with their own bodies is the narrative that has it's, been spun. It's such a, it's such a negative narrative. It's such a it's 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 the opposite of the truth, because the men who are really pro-life, what are they saying? Mm-hmm. They're not just saying you can't do that. They're they're saying, no, we we want to support you enough to be empowered to choose life. Right. Right. So it, first, as a woman, how do you feel about that narrative? Oh, I I, I think it's the opposite of the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Because, again, going back to like equality and I understand where going back to compassion and recognizing that that they're like the devil, the, the devil doesn't uh, he can't uh, create. Right. So it can only twist what is there. So there has to be some nuggets of truth in the midst of all these conversations. Mm-hmm. And so if we're looking at compassion and saying, OK, there's back alley abortions that are happening. We want to we want to solve that problem. We're afraid of population control, which, you know, is probably exaggerated. But nevertheless, we want to solve that problem. And then we're worried about an injustice with regards to women. So we want to solve that problem. And we could say, well, look at all these issues. Here's abortion as a solution to handle all of these rather than saying, what are other options here? We could talk about, you know, better maternity leave or, or better health care to, to pr- protect women, you know, following uh, an unplanned pregnancy or even even if they're married and, and how, to, how to help make work environments more supportive to moms and to families and mm-hmm. to dads rather than trying to, to make the, the female uh, reproductive system have to look like the male reproductive system. Yes. And that's pretty much what, that was the answer that we came to. And the only way you can do that is, is, is ultimately through abortion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Am I hearing all this right? Yes, absolutely. And I mean, even I can add to that, like just supporting the women by, you know, it, it's the woman that ends up, you know, having to support the baby if the man's not in the picture. So continuing to to move forward with with laws that are going to protect women financially as yeah, well. Right. And, I mean, of course, emotionally, but you know, financially, to, to, certainly. that the father has to provide for help provide for that child Absolutely. as well. But yes, it's a it's a narrative that has been so damaging mm. to women. Because what, you know, let's let's talk about it this way. Bye. When a man looks at his girlfriend who just found out she's pregnant and says, you know, just get rid of it. I mean, it's it's it means your body, it's your choice, but what do you think she's really hearing? It's your problem. Right. When he says it's your choice, it's your body. Well, then, so I'm not hearing any support there. Right. I'm hearing you, you handle it, you get rid of it. So we can see that what that honestly does is it brings more difficulty to the woman because she has to do something now that's very, very unnatural. Mm. Just again, listeners, if you, whatever you think of for this issue, let's just really very raw look at what is a natural thing here. Is it natural? Is abortion natural? It's the, it is truly the opposite of natural. Right. And I, and I think that's in, in our work with post-abortive women and men, I think that is really just the core of it, that it was yeah. going against what, what all, everything in them tells them. You get pregnant, the body is, is working the way I've heard it described, because I'm obviously a man and, and I can't get pregnant, so mm-hmm. <laughs> I've only seen it happen a few times. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, my 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 wife, when we got pregnant with the first one, her, her aunt said, 
it's like you like pregnancy is like you give the keys of your body over to somebody else. Like somebody else is now in the driver's seat. Mm. That the child now has taken over and all the resources of the of the female organism is is moving towards protecting and forming that child, which does make her more vulnerable, mm-hmm. which is why, you know, it, in a normal society we have our husbands and then communities to support women when they're pregnant so they don't feel that that type of vulnerability. Now, okay, so let's 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 backtrack though, okay? Cuz we can we can say spinning in the in in that for a while. So here we are, we're in this time upheaval, sexual revolution, getting into the early 70s. Here we have three figures who are really wanting to do something to make a change happen. Right. So so the feminine move feminism movement, right, is starting to kind of latch on. And this is becoming almost a hallmark issue of feminism. And I mean, I think we see that today. It really it has absolutely. become the, it is. the issue. It is the issue, the hallmark issue. Yeah, absolutely. So um, for all the reason that we spoke about, because right, it's only right. viewed as an equality with man. It means you have to have freedom with your rep- reproductive system, complete freedom, even to the point of being able to terminate, you know, whatever pregnancy that happens. Right. But what that really brings freedom to is for the men, right, 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 right. to 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 do those acts with mm-hmm. the woman and mm-hmm. not have consequences. Mm-hmm. So, um, okay, so setting that stage for where society was. Now, let's back up a little bit and look at the law. So, at, at it's the late sixties. Recently, there's a case in 1965 called Griswold versus Connecticut. Okay. Okay. So this is a case about contraception. All right. And in this case, uh, it essentially the, the the court says that it is um, the right of married couples to use contraceptives. Okay. So there were some laws on the books, really, that were not allowing contraceptives at all. All, all types, Barry method, everything was it was all illegal at that time. Beliefs, so, uh, oh, or, or is it because it, because the, because the pill was invented? Yes, the pill is invented, and in now the, around this time, around this time, yep. And so, so then the laws are saying, all right, we need to have, and this is a federal law. This is a Supreme Court case. This is a, the Griswold Supreme versus. Court case about a court, you know, yeah. a, a, a law in Connecticut. Got it. Okay. But specifically saying that married couples. Married couples. That's the way it was written. Married yes. couples. There was a companion case mm-hmm. called Eisenstadt versus Baird that came down uh, right after that. But um, so this in this case, it's this language that you just, it, it says, Married couples should have the right to determine whether or not to bear or beget a child mm-hmm. used in the context of contraceptives. Mm-hmm. But take that language and where is it going to directly lead us? Well, OK, so let's pause here. Like on its surface, I agree with that statement. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, like a, a we as Catholics believe in natural family planning. Mm-hmm. And there are some honestly Catholics who don't even believe in that and would say that. You shouldn't even be trying to plan because that's taking authorship uh, of life, you know. But the church has openly said that, you know, natural family planning or fertility awareness methods are perfectly legal in the sense that they are the only means of family planning that respect a woman's fertility. Natural Natural cycle, the way that she's made, the way that she's designed, it honors that, it upholds that. And so you have to work within the rhythms of her cycle. So I... I, in some ways, I do believe if that the language is that, that you have the right, husbands and families should have, parents, um, wives, families should have the right to determine how many kids they want to bring into. Mm-hmm. It, the question isn't whether the right's there, but it's it's a question is of what are the means upon which that that gets uh, executed. Well said. So the means are contraception. Right there, like you said earlier, you, you're separating 
the consequences uh, from the marital act. Um, and, and consequences might be too strong of it. Well, it is. I mean, it's the right word. You know, the pregnancy is, is a result of, obviously, sex, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, and as soon as we separate those two, now we're, we're redefining what sex is at that point. Mm-hmm. And so this is now when we start getting into kind of the areas of looking at sex and sexuality, not just about um, relationship or fecundity, but now we're looking at it in the lens of is it really this is the beginning of moving away from that, moving towards personal expression and and uh, and personal fulfillment mm-hmm. rather than uh, begetting and giving towards another person. Right. So this right. is this is where we're getting into this philosophically, religiously, but then also not politically. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Sixty five. Right. Here we are. Keep going. Andrew. You're doing I love great. Sorry. It. I love it. <laughs> Sorry. Well, it's, it's just trying to engage in an act and take away the, the consequence. What? And still have the gift of that act, right? Correct. I mean, that's a difference. But right with contraception, we're trying to control it. It's the same thing with abortion. We're trying to control it. We're trying to control the consequences. Right. And so just for in terms of legal precedent, mm-hmm. we can see how that one sentence in that case very purposefully paved the way for abortion. Mm. So again, all of this is happening socially. Well, how how then? Map that out for me again. How, so how, once how you that... have a sentence that you can cite in mm-hmm. a su- U.S. Supreme Court case, mm-hmm. you know, it's it it's good to use in that in that next Supreme Court case, right? So they it's it's right. the law, it's the precedent, it's right. it's so they just applied that to abortion. So in Roe versus Wade, they essentially bring that sentence and say, yeah, we do. You you have a a right to privacy, a right to of whether or not to bear or beget a child. So that that right to privacy, that is not in the Constitution. Okay, that's something that most people think. So how did they Not argue most for- people, but some people. <laughs> All right. So we're looking at 65 then and then looking at a, a contraception case. Then in 73, the same language is used of the right to privacy, the right to, mm-hmm. to choose. But now not applying it to just contraception, now using as abortion as another means mm-hmm. of being able to uh, uh, determine, determine whether, or whether or not you can have a kid, right? And so that's the same now that the precedent has been set in 65, really not even 73, that the precedent set that they could use that same language in 73, that's what opens the door. It essentially paved the way, yes. It did not, it was not specific to abortion, but that whole sentence in context of this newly defined right to privacy is, you know, it's just a hop, skip and a jump away to abortion for them. So, but I'm sorry, because I'm still really confused. I'm like, how then does, because it's viewed as a constitutional right, right? Is that the way it's turned? Am I wrong understanding well, it's, it that way? It's, it's the right to privacy is view, like they're viewing this as they're they're saying that there's this right to privacy sitting inside of the the Constitution. But that's not the same words. thing as. But is that the? It's that right to privacy then is used as the right to abortion. Yes, in Roe versus Wade, it's just <laughs> I'm so amazing. Confused. I'm sorry. You know, I, well, Help you me should understand, be. Please, you should be because <laughs> anyone who reads the. U.S. Supreme Court case written in 1973 titled Roe versus Wade should be confused. Okay. Legal scholars on both sides of the issue agreed that it was a very poorly reasoned case. Got it. You talked about means to an end earlier, right? Really, I, th- I think that they knew where they wanted this to land and they 
figured out a means to get there. Got it. And that sentence back from those, you know, cases just what, eight years earlier, again, even that was very purposefully put in there to kind of pave that path to abortion. There's some new um, books coming out about that. So uh, a friend of mine said that that he had read about the backstory behind even that sentence, that it was very purposely put in there for to pave that way to abortion. So it is it is confusing because we're, we're just seeing a social movement into this and we're looking at the these nine justices who have lifetime appointments making a decision for society that this that society wasn't necessarily ready for mm-hmm. right even I, I read a quote by Justice Ginsburg who's very very you know pro-choice and uh, she said something like society was not ready for that case when it came out and whereas she she said that the um the the gay marriage case mm-hmm. when that came out she said that that society had done a better job of preparing you know of, of getting everyone ready for for the legal landscape of that got it it was very interesting yeah. um but yes it, it it is very confusing when you read the case because the whole c- case talks about the state's interest in potential life that at that time the 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 supreme court wasn't going to say when does life begin mm-hmm. they're like that's not for us to decide mm-hmm. but they are they they are going to say you know what we at the very least the state does have an interest in potential life and that goes on and on for pages and then it was but women have a right to abortion so what is potential life then like pregnancy right Potential life is considered the, the pregnancy whenever uh-huh. life does begin. Uh-huh. And because of those two weighing interests, the woman's interest, you know, the, the, the interest, the state's interest in potential life mm-hmm. weighed against the, the woman's interest in, you know, not wanting to be pregnant, um, weighing those against each other. They created a trimester framework okay. where in each trimester, there was a shifting of interests. So in the first trimester, the woman's interest is way greater and the state's interest in the in potential life is lesser. But as the pregnancy goes on into the second and third trimesters, in the third trimester, the state's interest in potential life is higher and the woman, you know, the interest of the, the woman's desire to abort is less. It it is it is bizarre, but it, it says all that in Roe v. Wade. First, second, and third trimester. Yes, it creates a trimester framework. Wow. I encourage everyone I, to I read mean, that I mean, case. Yeah, it is fascinating. I'm... Hey, everybody! This is Dr. Mario, and I'm taking a quick break from my conversation with Angie Thomas to encourage you to find out more about the good work we are doing at Willwood's Faith and Marriage by visiting us at faithandmarriage.org. You can see our upcoming married couples retreat schedule, find out more about our speaking engagements, read our blog, or even catch up on past episodes of Always Hope. Check us out at faithandmarriage.org. The right to choose uh, when to bring kids into your home is something certainly that the state has vested interest in 
in as much as then also families do. Um, but of course, who should have the greater vestment of interest in this? You know, it, I mean, my argument, of course, would be the family, obviously, like because it's their kids. Um, it, so it's under that pretense then that they could argue for abortion to be a constitutional right. Am I hearing this? Like, well, I'm, I'm just, sorry to keep being hung up on this. It's not just still... about the, mm-hmm. the, the family's interest in their child. I mean, the state is, we, we need to protect our people. Okay. That's the whole point of laws, okay. right? right? So of the course. potential right. life right. thing is that, you know, we're, all laws are, are there to protect to people. To protect people, of course. Right. So we're, when they talk about potential life, they're talking about protecting that child. When, when, does, when does it kick in? When do they get as much protection as you and I sitting here today or any, yeah. anyone listening right, right now? When right. when does that kick in? So the, the, the case just said, we're not going to say it starts at day 21. Right. Or, you know, it starts the moment that that head gets past the birth canal. Mm-hmm. Right. Because look, all of the legal, the jurisprudence in the decades following really struggled with this, right? Like think about the b- partial birth abortion case, mm-hmm. which was as recently as, what was it? I think maybe 06, 09, something like this. Right. Where partial birth, or 07 maybe, Carhartt versus Gonzalez, where the, the Supreme Court finally outlaws that particular method of abortion because it was essentially that you're delivering the head of the child, keeping the rest of the baby in, and allowing abortion because the rest of the body hasn't come out, right? Yeah. So again, we're looking at, and, and it's very important to bring up another case that came down with Roe versus Wade, which was Doe versus Bolton. And when was that? Same time as Roe versus Wade. It okay. was given, it's a companion case. Okay. So um, we might be able to come back to partial birth abortion, but oh, let's sorry. go backwards. So, so, yeah. so what, did, what did Doe versus Bolton say then? So... Doe versus so while Roe versus Wade said women have the right to an abortion, mm-hmm. Doe versus Bolton. Oh, sorry, let me back up. While Roe v. Wade said we have the right to abortion if the woman's life or health is in danger. That's the language That's of Roe v. The Wade. language of Roe v. Wade. Yes. Only when the cases of health, health and life. Okay. Doe versus Bolton defined health. And it defined it so broadly that it oh. potentially it essentially was unrestricted, not just potentially. It, yes, it essentially was because it. it it defined health as the woman's um, familial life, her physical health, her emotional health, her age, all of the it was a very broad definition of health. And let's talk about who's making that decision on whether her health is affected. It's the person getting paid to perform the abortion who's making that decision. So even as recently as when um, Dr. George Tiller was performing late term abortions. And who's that? He was an abortionist. Unfortunately, so sad he was murdered Uh um, by, you know, in the name of pro-life which is absolutely not pro-life to kill anyone um and so that was that was fairly recently i don't know exactly what year it was but um i want to say it was maybe at at, you know certainly after like oh five oh six okay and um he when they saw some of his files these are late term like third trimester abortions when they saw some of his files it was 
um, emotional distress okay. was the reason that he was writing for third trimester abortions. And it's Doe versus Bolton, Bolton that allows for that. So, so Roe v. Wade says only in the cases of health or uh, threat of life. Right. Yeah. The same time, the other case is coming out saying, well, health can be defined basically anything. Anything. So that's pretty much where we're at is that it's been. So we're defining health. We're defining uh, when it's it's a right for the state to protect the life of the child. Is that right when the head's coming out of the birth canal? And so birth, partial birth abortion said, yes, that's when you have to start protecting. Because if the, the child is born or a botched abortion happens, the state has to protect the child, right? Well, up until recently in some states, right? Okay, <laughs> Which okay. is, again, we're, we're we getting go. further and further away, right? right? I mean, the whole okay. problem with, I remember the Virginia governor yes. saying, you know, actually, no, yes. you don't have to protect them. And yes, yes. So that lots of opinions on this, right? But yes, yes essentially that opened the, the you know, Pandora's box for all abortions at all times. That's right. So now, whether first trimester, second trimester, third trimester, doesn't matter at this right, point. right. Now, in the decades following, mm-hmm. the, you know, common sense legislation has been passed to help regulate and help mitigate some of the issues that were experienced with that broad of a definition of you know, legal abortion, right? Okay. So, like what? Like what are we saying? Okay, so let's um, talk about informed consent. Okay. So in yeah. the, yeah. I know informed consent. I'm yeah, a therapist. Exactly. I, you have to have to inform consent. Right. Yeah. I mean, anything you do, you need to get informed consent, right? Anything. I mean, yeah. right? You need to, you know, get stitches in your finger. You need to, you know, yeah. understand what the risks are with, uh, you know, whatever the doctor is going to do to help heal you, right? That's right. Well, and the, the abortion, it, I always say they created like this black hole for abortion that it was just untouchable. Mm-hmm. And so not all states required informed consent for abortions. So I have heard women tell me that they had no idea what they were getting into. And I just... I, my heart breaks for them. It's like it's they were told lies. They were told it was a blob of tissue. They go in. They it is painful. It they 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 have trauma associated with the sounds they had. They some of them are rendered infertile. I mean, you know that's more extreme. But like, you know, they didn't know that all of those were risks involved with this. But seriously, anything else? I mean, you go to the dentist and. Y- right. y- you know what what the risks are, right? right? So finally, it was it wasn't until 1992 in Planned Parenthood versus Casey that the U.S. Supreme Court said you can have informed consent for abortion. Wow! Right, like that you 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 must have inf- informed consent for these women who are going into this major. Um, Medical, I don't know, no, maybe not major, but this, it's a medical procedure. It's a, it's a medical procedure. procedure. Yeah, there's no way, there's no denying yeah. that right. uh, is what it is. Yeah, absolutely. So there were, you know, in that case, it was pretty important because it, you know, a lot, I, I love talking to people who have been what in was this. Going, sorry, what was going on in Planned Parenthood versus Casey? Like what, what was the issue that brought that before the Supreme Court? Well, essentially it, it, it was hoped that that would overturn, overturn Roe versus Wade. When okay. I talked to the the amazing warriors that have been in this battle uh-huh. for decades, um, they, you know, they expressed how important that case was and how they all thought this was it. This is when Roe v. Wade's going to get overturned. And it was, you know, just the, the 
it, it brought up informed consent. It brought up reporting requirements. They these the the abortion clinics were just they did they didn't have to report anything necessarily, right? Mm-hmm. Like unless a, a, a state had tried to do that um, legislation, they but not all the states had to do that, right? right. And so everything else we have vital records on, right? But not but abortion again this big black hole of of an exception. Got it. So ninety two. Um, Planned Parenthood, Casey versus Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Sorry. Yes. It, it comes out and it doesn't overturn abortion. It doesn't overturn but abortion. But it does start putting some type of restrictions related to informed consent, record keeping, and those type of things mm-hmm. into place. Yes. Is that right? One thing it did not allow for was husband notification, not okay. husband consent. Just at least notification. Just notification. And the, and the Supreme Court said, nope, we're not going to require that. Okay. So isn't that fascinating how men yeah. just continue? It, it You have no voice in this. Right. Well, that's, I mean, the story you were saying earlier about, you know, husbands or boyfriends putting pressure on the woman. But we were talking about this before we went on air here of, of um, what's her name? Patricia Sandoval's story. Yes. For her story is that she had three abortions without her boyfriend even knowing about them. And, and her boyfriend, because she knew that her boyfriend would have wanted to have kept the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, well, at least she had two, but the third one, I think she said was, was he was there with her and fought against it. So at least I've remembered the story correctly. Sorry, Patricia, if you're listening to this, but anyways, <laughs> but like, sorry, but you know, just trying to say that like, um, yes, yeah, so, but so here we go again, right? We're saying the, the bright is to the woman and that we're excluding now, uh, any sort of responsibility to the man. And, and any sort of just even engagement uh, or, or, or kind of looking at this as, as something that, that involves more than just the woman herself, that this is something that does have ripple effects to families and to others. Yeah. Um, again, I think we know that emotionally. Maybe that's too harsh to say. But at least legally, though, the language legally is saying that there isn't anything. It's all particularly on the woman. On the woman. Right. Okay. Which it's just one of the saddest things is when you see a man who genuinely wants to keep that baby, protect that baby, and he has no rights. Right. I mean, it's he has none. Right. None. Gen- generally, yeah. I think that ab- abortion laws, you know, essentially help men to to be able to engage in that act and 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 not have consequences. I can't tell you how many women I have been exposed to over twenty years of working in, you know, a counseling and medical clinic dedicated to unplanned right. pregnancies. Um, that it, the women are just coerced by their boyfriends or encouraged at the very least by their boyfriends to go get the abortion and feeling just so unsupported and that's awful you know just right so it's like that's generally what i see it's not a very empowering thing for a woman to come Mm -hmm. up and say you know i just don't have the support Mm -hmm. which interestingly enough planned parenthood's research arm the alan gutmacher institute reports that the main reasons for abortions are lack of emotional support and lack of financial resources. Sure. Yeah, Does that, makes that sense. sound empowering? No, um, it doesn't. No. Of course not. Yeah, right? It's, no, a, it's course. very different from the narrative we talked about yeah. earlier, right? Which you know, I, you know, I need this. I, I, I have the right. It's right. my body. It's my choice. Very it's different. It's more, more that it's a, it is a last resort, that there aren't many other options. Right. There aren't financial resources, that it's not about doing this so that I can advance my career. It's more I'm doing this because I'm trying to save I have What's going no on? I'm sure that might be in other circumstances. I get it. I know everybody's unique here by story, but 
that it seems like it's coming down to there being no other way. Okay, so mm-hmm. let, let's shift gears here for a second because we've been talking about this for a while and I'm very grateful for everything that you're offering here. But you've already said that there's been th- at least three cases here that have argued for the legality of abortion. There's a lot of conversation right now with the Supreme Court now having conservative uh, justices um, more than, than liberal justices. There's a lot of movement or conversation about can Roe v. Wade be overturned. But if the Supreme Court values precedents that have been set by its predecessors, how do we move into a direction where we can make abortion illegal? Right. It's a it's a great question. It's the question of of legal scholars right now. How can how can you do this? And really what ultimately I think the 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 majority of people are are striving to do is to put it back to the states. Okay. You know that the states is that that the states are you know in charge of police power that they they're in charge of the protection of their people, and they they can legislate. So we're a democracy, right? We 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 vote on people to to sure to bring out our own values, right? Which again, Louisiana is doing a great job of because they're representing our values here with our legislation and and like the the love life amendment that's coming up and the the heartbeat bill, the heartbeat laws that, that are all out there. We, our legislators are representing our values, right? So that's essentially what the movement is trying to do is to say this never should have been a Supreme Court question. Has there been just historically, again, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the fool in the room, right? I'm the one who doesn't know anything. So I'm really just asking the questions. I'm being very sincere here. Has there ever been a situation in the Supreme in the history of the Supreme Court where it has overturned previous amendments or previous law? Maybe not amendments, sure, but laws. Yeah. What about precedents? Yeah, Give it to me. Yeah, like uh, Dred Scott, like the, the you know, well, slavery and segregation, all, all of those things, right? Like the, there were precedents for those in- thirty years of living one way and then turn it around. Okay. Segregation, right? That was not the right way to be. It was not, you know. So there equal, is a but separate. precedent of breaking precedents. Yes. Okay. Yes. And very few times, but very few times yeah, yeah, obviously. when it's a big thing. Right. And so uh, this is a big thing. And this is it, this has divided the country from the very beginning. Right. Of the, like it, it never we never stopped fighting. Right. Right. And we never will because we believe that women deserve better mm-hmm. than what this the, the state of the society right now. Women deserve better than abortion. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I guess I'm just trying to think about this legally, you know, and being like, okay, well, how how do we get there then? Mm. Do you have any idea? I mean, well, I mean, yeah, I think that there's a lot being done right now on strategy and mm-hmm. um, I mean, incremental le- legislation on the state level is a wonderful thing, and we right. just had so many amazing people in Louisiana working mm-hmm. really hard and have really gotten our state to be a, a very um, how can I put this? A, a state that is support a s- supportive of women, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, the, right now, the Supreme Court is about to hear oral arguments on a very common sense piece of legislation. Right. This is the hospital bill, right? What yeah, is it? The, Explain admitting, it to me. The admitting privileges bill. So, an example of incremental legislation is, you know, we if we want women to be protected at least. Okay, abortion's legal, but at least when women go have abortions in Louisiana, can we make sure that they can be cared for if something goes wrong with that abortion? Can we make sure that if 
that there's a problem with that procedure that a doctor is doing, a medical provider is doing at that abortion clinic, that that doctor can go help her at the emergency room. Mm-hmm. So can we make sure that those doctors have admitting privileges in, in local hospitals? Common sense, right? That doesn't seem like a lot to ask. Yeah, I mean, to you and me, that's common sense. But I can hear the other side because I watch these news reports that say, well, that's just a smokescreen for restriction abor- restricting abortion you know, to women only in And why situation. does it restrict abortion? Is well, it because, because those doctors exactly. can't get admitting mm-hmm. privileges? Why can't they get admitted privileges? Is it because they, they have multiple medical malpractice suits against oh, them? Mercy. Is it because they are traveling all over the state and they're from eight hours away co- coming for a week to do abortions and go back to their home and they're not available to take care of their patients? Why is it restricting? The intent you know, is to is to support women and keep them safe. That right? That should be the that's right. Like you said, all, laws, on all sides. Laws exist for that reason. Right. Yes. That's why all laws exist to keep the people safe. That's right. Yet, you know, th- this can be twisted in that way and 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 it may very well restrict some abortions because if the doctors are not capable of providing the full scope of care, they shouldn't be doing this. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, like how horrendous to hear a woman dying on the abortion table. Look, it does not happen often, but when it does, how horrendous. I mean, when you hear Abby Johnson's stories of um, when she was working at Planned Parenthood and yeah. they told you know, told her not to call the ambulance, we don't, we, that's a last resort. What is that doing? That's hurting women. And, and for what? Money? I mean, face, yes, reputation, yes, all of the above. Unfortunately, I I know. Again, just that's that's it. Tearing away to me at just the whole political thing. It's it's so so hard to remove your framework and try to see the other side. And I have done it several times. I have spoken with abortionists at length. How do those conversations go? About uh, what? What do you guys talk about? You know, one of it's been one of my the greatest gifts for me to to have civil dialogue with people who believe very, very differently from me. And I think that's where we'll get movement is by speaking in love with other people, respect, right? To to say, you know, I genuinely just want to hear why you believe what you believe. Right. Um, And in fact, to bring it full circle, that's essentially what we get in Dr. Bernard Nathanson's story because he he shares this whole movement and founding NARAL and, and all of the strategy they had. Then he goes on to describe that then a new technology came out, ultrasound technology, and he sees something he didn't see before. Which is what? Just that you can actually see the baby? Yes. Wow. So, I mean, it was a blind procedure prior to ultrasound technology. Mm. And he he genuinely was buying the fact that it was just a blob of tissue. But then he gets to see this tiny little human. So he has a conversion, if you will, just based on scientific information. Mm. Um, later on in life, he shares his second book called The Hand of God. He shares just a beautiful, intimate story of his 
him finding mercy, really. It, it's just one of the most powerful stories ever. And to me, to get inside the head of it started with compassion. He yeah. had a beautiful heart that wanted to see women stop getting right. hurt. I think all of us have common ground there. Correct. Absolutely. And so I don't, I don't think that, you know, the abortionist that I spoke with, we, we um, were on a forum, a panel together. And it was funny because it just brings you back to like, I, I knew I was going to be talking, sitting right next to someone who provided abortions as their job. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what he did. And so I, I don't know if I was like expecting to see like horns and evil oozing out or something, but it's oh, not course. what I saw. I yeah, saw this precious little older guy with his wife. He's a grandpa. He comes and sits next to me, tells me hi. Yeah. I tell him hi. It was just, it opened my eyes and, and taught me so much about love and dialogue, right? And when I talked with him, he genuinely thought he was helping women. Right. And so I just, we would continue to ask each other really hard questions. And so we learned from each other. And I learned that it's not, that people on that side of this issue, it's not that they genuinely, generally want to to just kill babies. It's that they just feel like they're helping women. So it, it comes back to what you said earlier about, you know, just how, what's the way we can help women? What's the exactly. best way? So Dr. Nathanson then has this conversion because of ultrasound and then has to come to terms with his choices and decisions that he made in his life. And so what, where does his story end, if you don't mind me asking? He uh, becomes Catholic. Oh, I think <laughs> he, so. I think I've heard that name. That's why. Yes, okay. Um, I'm so ignorant. I'm sorry. You know, if, probably, he, probably, my list is probably like, Mario, how do you not know who this guy is? You know, no, everybody I'm just, probably knows. I'm just like, I'm ner- so, nerdy when it comes so to this, uh, this topic. I like to read everything I can. I love it. It's great. And this man's story just, to- it just, it was so beautiful because he, he got what the other side was about. Yeah. He, he went a certain way. He thought one way was the answer and it, shifts. and it wasn't. And it shifted because he was open to the truth. And so I think that's generally where we should be, at least as, as a society is let's just seek the truth here. Like right. now that we have the technology we have, I mean, we can keep a baby alive being born at what? 20 weeks, 21, 21 weeks or something weeks. like that. Yeah. Which is viability yeah, has come so low. Right. And yet, you know, and and the ultrasound technology, the surgeries that we're doing in utero, like the the that image of that little baby's hand coming up and grasping the surgeon's yeah, little it's pinky. Beautiful. It's beautiful. The humanity of the unborn is undeniable. Correct. And the needs of women are undeniable. Absolutely. Absolutely. So speaking to that then, all right, let's, let's kind of bring this, come, get into the end here. All right. So let, let's say that there's a path forward and then Roe v. Wade gets overturned at some point and it becomes illegal to have an abortion. The 50% or half the country that has been fighting to keep abortion legal uh, would, isn't just going to go away because right. abortion gets overturned. So what happens then? Like right. what happens as a country? Do you feel uh, in, in that situation, I mean, do women get criminalized because they have abortions? Do we return back to back alley abortions? I mean, these are all the fears that get thrown out right. in, in our faces. So I'm just asking to see what your thoughts are about this. Do you, mm-hmm. do you criminalize doctors for doing this? Do we, do we go to, uh, does this become like the next 
prohibition era thing where we have speakeasies, but they're like underground abortion mm, clinics. I mean, like where, like where, like, like where do we go? And I know that's, I know that's playing the the prediction hat, but these are the fears that get thrown out, right? You know, to keep abortion legal. So what I happens? I, I think it's it's so important for all of us to think through that. Like, if you if you're claiming to be pro life, what does that really mean? Mm-hmm. In you know, on the on the cusp of this potential change in society, we're going to have to step it up big time. Again, the gift of working at Women's New Life Clinic for the last 20 years has been seeing that when women are supported and loved, they are empowered and they step up to the most beautiful thing, motherhood. And if their partners are involved or their husbands are involved, we have seen the most beautiful things happen when they are empowered and supported, right? So as people who are supportive of women and supportive of the unborn, we need to be ready to do hard things. Like we need to be ready to adopt more babies, Okay, right? We need to be super generous in helping women who are pregnant because the answer, you know, to abortion isn't just to just let those women deal with it on their own. Right. Right. I mean, we're still going to have unplanned pregnancies. Yeah, of course. So we're that's called not going to anywhere. Just <laughs> exactly. That's, what I'm, that's my point. Is that those those yes. things aren't going anywhere. Right. They're just going to stop just because legally, you know, they change. I know that's we still right. have to do the work of converting hearts and always have to do that. But legally, that that's not going to change. Mm-hmm. And so so your one solution here is saying, OK, we have to have more adoptions. And that means we would have more infrastructure to be able to support all of these new influx of babies that would be coming into adoptions mm-hmm. centers rather than being aborted. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you. I mean, do you have a thought on terms of the legal, the criminalization of this stuff? I mean, is that, is that, is that, and if you don't feel comfortable answering the question, you don't have to answer. I'm just, this is me speculating and saying, okay, like, well, where does this go? I mean, like. Right. Well, I mean, I, again, it's, it's, it's an, uh, a really sad thing to think about criminalizing the woman who already must be in such a desperate state. Like even now when it's legal, when I, the vast majority that I, of women that I have encountered with legal abortion are still, it's like they're in a bear, bear trap and they have to cut off their leg to survive. That's what their life is like. So they are doing this abortion only because it is the most desperate situation and they have no other way out, right? Yeah. No, listen, I'm not, I'm not for that. I'm just, I'm not saying that's, that, that's the direction that we need to take because I agree wholeheartedly yes. with the situation as it is. I'm just saying, well, how if, are we gonna if we're going to move, I, I guess right. this is my argument. This is what I'm trying to say. If we're going to be pro-life, and we're going to argue for this. We have to be ready to think through every single one of these scenarios Amen. and every single one of these variables and situations so that we can have intelligible responses that are filled with compassion uh, for people who are going to disagree with us when when or should this uh, come to pass? Yes. Well That's said. That's well said. And I think we all should be thinking about it. And, you know, I think a big part of this is kind of just the social um, acceptance of things when things are legal. Right. Um, so mm-hmm. we, we mentioned the whole, you know, drug use earlier. Yeah. Like, marijuana you know, is the big one right, right now. Marijuana right is, now, it's, like, it's in the path. You know, if it's, it is, it's following the same path now. Yeah. It's, it'll, it'll be legal in the country in a few years. I mean, it just it's just. And it becomes a little easier to swallow for some people, right? right? Like that, it's, it becomes a little more accepted. Again- Now I will say, I'm just going to say, sorry to interrupt for the sake of saying, marijuana, smoking marijuana is not on the same level morally as committing an abortion. That just has to be said. Yes. It's not not even close. Obviously, the, the killing of a life is not the same thing like as as smoking weed. So I'm not, I'm not 
I'm not making that comparison and saying that they're the same morally, but just the comparison in the sense that when there's a gradual kind of acceptance for something, eventually, like we just start seeing that the, the law is kind of falling suit with that. Yes. That's all I'm saying. Yes. Or that when it becomes legal, in this case of abortion, that it that that, that societal acceptance happens gradually. So right. again, in my work, in my work with Women's New Life Clinic, it's been I have I have encountered several mostly younger women who say, well, it's it's legal, so it must be okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah, you know, like They're more comfortable moving right. forward with it because they're not doing anything illegal. Right. So you see what I'm saying I there? So no, I, I, I think you. it's going to take a while for society to come down off of this 40-year experiment. Right. And 50-year experiment. And and really begin to to shift gears with this and really understand that you know it's it's it is it's it's not good for women it's not good for babies obviously it's not good for society to have violent answers to our problems that's well said yeah that's well said that we don't meet then the compassionate answer here isn't more violence that's a great way of 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 articulating that and then bringing that point home because we wouldn't say that with anything then you know we wouldn't say that with with war or pick your issue, police brutality, any of it, even Martin Luther King Jr. The, the, the answer right. to the civil rights movement wasn't violence. The answer to the civil rights inequality was a nonviolent revolution. Right. Uh, yeah, that's, that's well said. Even I've, I've heard the most beautiful testimonials of, you know, women who have been raped and have chosen to keep that child yeah, and yeah. Uh, give that child, you know, make that child an adoption plan, right? And offer life to that child. And they're, you know, when, when they speak, it's like, I didn't, I was victimized. I didn't want to victimize someone else out mm. of that. I wanted, I, I, I wanted to do, you know, the right thing. I wanted, I didn't want to put violence on someone else when, when I had been the victim of such violence. Mm. So what a heroic and beautiful thing to, to not answer violence with violence. Yeah. That's a great way to end this episode. I have other questions, but we're already over an hour. So like that, that was, yeah, that was it. That was it right there. So Angie, anything to plug, you know, where, where can people, if the people have loved what they've heard so far, how can they be in touch with you or any of the good things you're doing? What, what websites, how would you recommend people to, to get some more information? Well, one thing that I have learned is just to mention, if any of you listeners have been hurt by abortion, have made that choice yourself, this is absolutely not a condemnation. This is an invitation to just, um, Come talk to a counselor and and get some healing if, if that is something that you are struggling with, um, that uh, you are loved and um, and there is healing out for you. And so Woman's New Life Clinic offers uh, professional post-abortive counseling. There's a beautiful retreat called Rachel's Vineyard. Um, so uh, ag- again, please seek out that help. And um, we just are very excited about what the legal landscape is going to be, um, especially in this amazing state of Louisiana. We're really hoping that the Love Life Amendment will pass this fall. So please, everyone, keep that in your prayers. And um, I'm happy to answer any questions that y'all have. You can email me um, at angiesthomas at yahoo.com. Sounds great. So I'll put the email on uh, the show notes as well as the link to the uh, Women's Your Life Clinic and uh, the Louisiana Right to Life. Just briefly, what is the Love Life Clinic? Put parentheses on that real quick. What is that? 
the, the love life clinic, the love life uh, um, amendment. Oh, yes, Sorry, not yes, clinic yes. amendment. So, it's coming. Well, it was, it's an amendment that was. It would say that you know when when Roe v. Wade is overturned, that Louisiana will it will trigger you know Louisiana to be a, an abortion free state. We'll be ready to go. It, it, it can make history. It's it is a huge moment in history right now that we can be a part of. Got it. Got it. Okay. Great. So last question that I ask all my guests, Angie, what gives you hope? Oh, wow. What a beautiful question. Well, even just talking about this right now, gives me hope. Just Jesus gives me hope. Right. Yeah. And, uh, just being so blessed by the Lord. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Angie, for joining me on the show and, uh, keep up all the good work that you do and God bless you and, and continue to, to, to fight for this at the various levels that you have been. And we want to continue, obviously, to pray just for our country as a whole, um, and 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 hopefully that we can continue to do the work of of really kind of leading people towards the changes of hearts and minds when it comes to this issue. Amen. So. Thank you for all you do, Mario. Amen. God bless. Alrighty. Bye. All right, everybody. Andy wanted to clarify that it was Brown versus the Board of Education that overturned the legal policies of segregation established by the Plessy versus Ferguson decision. This and more than 200 other instances where the Supreme Court overturned a previous decision should give us hope that we as a country can one day respect the life and dignity of the unborn. That's it. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and share with others. And as promised, here's my interview with my son, Gabriel. Enjoy. All right. Well, joining me on the show today is my oldest son, Gabriel Sacasa. Gabriel, how are you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Fantastic. Well, I thought for the purposes of our conversation now would be um, one to have you on the show, which is awesome. So I'm just grateful. <laughs> Had the had your younger brothers on the the TV episode yeah. a little while ago, so I thought, yeah. okay, well, I got to get Gabriel on some other form of media that I'm doing here. Um, yeah. So had you wanted to have you on the show, but I, the focus of what we'll be talking about for however long we discuss is really just your experiences on the March for Life. You just went mm -hmm. on the march for the first time, uh, went with the, the group at Jesuit High School here in New Orleans, which is um, amazing, and. And I remember my own experiences of going on the march. I haven't been in probably 20 years, over 20 years um, was the last time that, that I went on the march, went a couple of times in college. And so it's neat to, to see you now as a, as a high schooler, 15 year old, being able to, to go and to have uh, some opportunity to, to witness to life, um, to express, obviously it's a protest, it's a silent protest. And so being able to yeah. express your, your constitutional rights of being able to, to advocate for, for changes in laws. Um, and so being able to live in that, but then also the whole, you had a whole few days in DC where you went to yeah. different museums and, and just had a, a DC experience in addition to the March for life. Yeah. So what was just moving for you with the, the March itself and then kind of the overall trip, just kind of what, what stuck out for you? Yeah. Well, first I'd like to thank, uh, Mr. Delad and Mrs. Dubois Blanc for, you know, being the heads of the pro-life club at Jesuit for organizing the whole thing. Yep. They're doing a great job. Yep. They did. They did. Um, one of the things that stuck out for me besides obviously the March, of course, was the Holocaust museum that we went to and just seeing the, the pictures and 
videos and all that, the artifacts that they had there from all the people who, who were killed by the Nazis during, you know, during World War II. It's awful. Yeah. Just to kind of remind us what can happen when a group of people are, are determined to be less than human. Yeah. And how, you know, they're, they're just killed off. You know, similar to what's going on right now with abortion. So, uh, so that um, was one thing that really struck you. Mrs. D yeah. made that connection for you guys, being able to see that? Yeah, Mrs. D and Mr. Delat. Mr. Delat, yeah. And, and that is the concern, obviously, for all of us as we make assertions of human life and, and make qualifiers about who's more worthy to live and, and making those decisions and those qualifiers is, is, uh, is, can lead to a very bad place. Yes. Yes. I mean, only, only God can determine who, who should live and who should die. He's, That's right. He's the only one who can and should. Yeah. Yeah. What does Gandalf say be, to, uh, to Frodo? Oh, it, it, <laughs> <laughs> Many who I lived could, yeah. uh, should have died and many who have died should have lived. Or Something like that. Are you that. Frodo capable of, of doling out the judgment yeah. or whatever it is? <laughs> Come on, Lord of the Rings fans yeah. would be very disappointed yeah. in you right now. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm disappointed in myself that I can't remember the quote. Well, if it was a Star so, Wars quote, you would have. Oh, well, yeah, of course. You gotten that right. Of course. Of course. <laughs> so the Holocaust Museum started off the weekend by going yep. to that. That hit you hard. Yes. What else about the trip and uh, affected you? Well, probably going to the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception, which is the largest church in the U.S. and possibly the Western Hemisphere, except maybe for uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe. That might be bigger. Yeah, maybe. Sure. Either way, that was, it was huge, huge. And the, just to see the, the grandeur of it and also to see how many people were there like it's it's a huge church. There's an upper level and then there's a lower level, and both of it were filled. You know, were overflowing with with people. Like I I wasn't able to sit in any of the pews, so there were hundreds of people there for the the mass for life, and just to see everyone there was was really really good. That's so, awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. So seeing yeah, all the people good. there, being able to pray, worship together, yes, just seeing yes. the church, the church itself yeah. is spectacular. Oh yeah, and, it's beautiful. And, and beautiful. the experience of it is, is really, is really quite remarkable. Yeah. Okay. It so is, the, it is Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And then of course, uh, of course the march itself. I mean, I thought there were a lot of people at, at the Basilica. There were way, way more people at, at the march. Did you have any expectation going into the march about what it could be or just anything I mean, of any, any expectation of what it was or what you were hoping to get out of it or anything of that nature? I mean, I didn't have many expectations. I mean, I'd, I'd seen uh, the time-lapse videos from last year, last year, mm -hmm. showing how many people were there. So I, so I was kind of expecting, you know, just the large amount of people, but then just to be in the middle of it, it's crazy to see all different kinds of people. 
from all across the U.S. and the, the world, I think. That's amazing. Yeah. It's really amazing. Yeah, it was good. And there, and most, a majority of the people there were, were young people, were, you know, high school students, college students, young adults, even a few, there were even a few, you know, parents with, with small children. They're like Jude's age or younger marching. Yeah. Marching there. So it's good. Jude's our, our youngest in the family. He's five for the listeners yes. who don't know. Yes. Why did you want to go this year? Um, I mean, I really, I really wanted to go to, to be a witness for life, to stand up for what I believe in and to, to protest the horrible thing that is, that is abortion. And I, I want to, to go to, you know, just to pray and hope to, hope to make a change. And I, and I, I hope that with all the, all the people there, there are about a hundred thousand people that, that we did or that we will. Cause, and it's good that there are so many people there because you think about how many people are there and then you have to think about all the people that couldn't come on the march or didn't. Like there are about 40 people from Jesuit came. Uh, there, prob- there, there are more people than that in the pro-life club at Jesuit. There are probably sure. 60, 70 people, I'd say, maybe in the pro-life club. So, and so a bunch of those guys couldn't come. So it's good to, to see, to see all those people really, really gives you hope that there are people who, who want to make a change and who will. Now I know you're 15 and, um, have been obviously homeschooled and now and in the Catholic environment, mm-hmm. the, and we've talked about all sorts of issues, obviously throughout your life and, um, but abortion, I'm sure you know, is one of those things that's pretty contentious. Yes. How, how, how aware of you that it is that? Well, through, I mean, I would have, probably through Pro-Life Club tell, telling us about the different, the different things. And of course, what happened last year with the, the kid in uh, Kentucky. K- Kentucky, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, showing that it's it's such a divisive, you know, thing in our country, which is sad. So what do you so, think, just as a 15-year-old, being there with other young people that were also in support of, of the pro-life cause here specifically, you know, uh, with, with abortion, with regards to abortion, what do you think in terms of how do we, what effect do you think I you mean, had? How do, you, how do we make this less divisive? How do, you, how do we work towards peace? Any of these bigger questions here, what do you, what do you well, think? I mean, I think that, I mean, because most of the people, you know, there are young people who are supporting pro-life, A, many of them, I'm sure, will go on to become, you know, senators, representatives, lawyers, presidents, I'm sure, who can make a difference. But I think the main way to to unite the the country is... I mean, through, through love. I mean, to show that we're not, that we don't, that we don't hate the women 
who had an abortion. That we don't want to hate them or to, you know, lock them up or anything like that, but that we want to love them and work with them through I mean through through their trial. Mm. Yeah. I think that's that's what what has to be done. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. That's the and that's the gospel. Yep. Awesome. So anything yeah. else that stuck out with you from the from the march? Maybe um, baby Yoda memes. <laughs> yeah, there there were there were a lot of great signs there on the on the march. Some were baby Yoda, some movie quotes I saw, some uh Dr. Seuss. One one thing that did strike me, I can't remember who who mentioned this to us, but that it being on the march and being pro-life is one of is probably one of the ultimate forms of self-sacrifice because you are helping people or yeah, you're helping people who you will never meet, who will never be able to to thank you for what they did. And you're you're not you don't get anything from it. You're you're just marching. You're not you don't get anything, you know, you don't get a hundred dollars for for going on the march. I mean it's the old it's the ultimate form of self sacrifice. I I mean a Jesuit we stress, you know, being a man for others. And there aren't much there aren't much better ways to be a man for others than to help and support the the women and the who are who are considering having an abortion or who have had an abortion to help them and then to pray for the the children who who are who are in danger of abortion awesome awesome well any other words of encouragement you would offer to people who were thinking about going to the march but were kind of on the fence but maybe they'd like to go next I mean, year or? i i definitely recommend it it's it was def it was a wonderful wonderful experience. I mean, it really, really makes you realize that you're not alone, that it gives you hope that there are people who, who want to make a change, that there are young people your age who want to help and create a culture of life to remove the uh, the culture of death that uh, JP2 talked about. Awesome. Awesome. All yeah. right. Any other final thoughts? Anything else you'd like to offer? Um, no. All right. How were no. the, there weren't any, there weren't many um, antagonistic opportunities. Were there up there? I, I mean, did you find that even the even in the march itself, that people were pretty peaceful, like the protesters, the marchers themselves? Oh yeah, every, everyone was insanely polite. Like if I'd be standing in the way and people were trying to cut through, they'd say, "Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry." And everyone was insanely polite. It was great. Which for an estimated hundred thousand people is is quite remarkable. Oh yes, you know? yeah. There were 
I mean, when we go to Saints games, there's like 80,000 people. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel when we walk out of those? <laughs> <laughs> not, not the same way. Not the same way. <laughs> and then again, this is New Orleans. So everyone's probably had a few beers yeah, that's in, true. The, in the course. <laughs> but uh, I mean, there were, there, were, there were all types of people there. Everyone was really polite, but there were all... There were all different types of pro-lifers. There were people who were saying the rosary. There were people who were leading chants. There was there was one school, I think it was. It was a it was a Hispanic or bilingual school, and they had they had they had people on some drums and some cymbals. So there were all all types of people. And luckily there weren't many pro-choice people there there were one or two at the very end but there weren't there weren't many which was which was good Mm -hmm. which was really good cool cool yeah great to see the diversity of cultures and ages being expressed and even within the faith different different expressions of the faith Mm -hmm. whether people are quietly praying or singing or doing other things but that really it's a march and it's a pilgrimage and an opportunity to really to really pray uh, for conversion of heart in in mm-hmm. our nation, and 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 being able to to hopefully you know make be a voice that will that will be heard. Yes. So yes. Gabriel, thanks for joining me on the show. Last question that I do ask all my all first time right. guests: all What right. gives you hope? What gives me hope? Does it have to be just one thing? I mean, there not necessarily. What gives me hope? I mean, I, gosh, that's hard. There, there are a few different things. I mean, let's say them. Pro, I mean, obviously, you know, mass and the sacraments, you know, help, gives me hope to, to push forward the, the love of my friends and my family. And it helps me to to keep going. And probably, I mean, just the fact that God, God will take care of us one way or another. Amen. Amen. Well, yeah. Gabriel Joseph, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you for having me. Thanks for sharing your experiences and being a witness for for the, the, the pro-life cause. Of course, anytime. All right. God bless. You too.